Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel, and I have a special guest today, Amanda. She is going to be telling the story, helping to get some information out for her family. Megan is not in the studio today. Um, as uh, many of our paying subscribers know, she was in a accident. She's totally fine, but she was in a vehicle accident earlier this week, and so she's recovering. So I'm covering today's interview. And Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we have actually had several requests for your uncle's case and I had started research and then I saw where you had done some other interviews and anytime that I see that I try to reach out to family um, because I would much rather have family members tell stories and give facts so that we are making sure that we're putting out the absolute most accurate information especially in cases like this where there is we need be on the lookout we need help um so thank you so much for coming on today so if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit um that would be lovely hi my name is amanda rickles and i am the family member of a missing persons cold case in a couple weeks now it will have been 14 years since the last time anyone spoke or saw my uncle Brian. Okay. So, um, I had saw for a while there was news coverage when it first happened and then it just seemed to kind of go by the wayside. And like you said, become a cold case. And I, I, from what I was reading, I really feel like you have been a really strong advocate to try to help bring this case back open into life. And so if you would just love to give us, I, I, for my audience, I really like to help our audience get to know the person that we're covering. Um, so if you would be willing to share with us about your uncle, Brian, um, you know, all of those those ins and outs of family details of how, what he was like as a person and um, where he grew up, you know, just things like that. So we can help to get to know him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, right, right before I dive into that, you had mentioned the news coverage. I want to say like there, there was a um, very small amount of news coverage. We really had to fight um, tooth and nail for that. Cause when he did go missing, it was right after um, historic flooding here in the area. And if, the story wasn't flood related. There, at the time, there just wasn't an interest um, mm. in doing a, a news piece on it. So the, the little bit of coverage we had, we really had to fight to get. Oh my gracious! Um, so it's like luckily that has changed with the advent of a podcast and people's interest in true crime. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's, there has been a lot of new interest in it lately. So we've been able to do a lot more. Um, yeah. to, to get back to your question, um, my uncle Brian um, was about 14 years older than me. So he, you know, was old old enough to babysit, still like kind of like young enough to run out there and play with everybody. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, he was one of nine children in a with a Catholic family, but um, a fairly open Catholic <laughs> family. <laughs> it wasn't like any weirdness from a, a movie or anything. But um, <laughs> they, he was always more of the energetic, like, prankster one, just always had a ton of mischievous energy. <laughs> um, always knew him, honestly, as having boundless amounts of energy. <laughs> he was oh, always wow. the one ready to play with us to go out and do tag hide and seek um just any game any i even as i became an uh, adult like any idea you had of things to do he was always like all right let's go for it let's do this he's down for it (laughs) someone who always lived his life absolutely every day to the fullest i mean even something as simple as being at a restaurant and having trying to decide between two dishes you just get both of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Like, why are you limiting yourself? Get them yeah. both. <laughs> um, he was, you know, just always um, is just smart, just really witty, quick. He was accepting, but he <laughs> didn't... Um, put up with, with nonsense, I guess, um, which came in handy um, with, uh, and I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase stuff, just as he grew older and became more open about his sexuality, mm-hmm. it's something he, he, he never hid or apologized sure. for, and he, you know, he wasn't going to honestly hear anyone say anything negatively about it or anything negative about it and just sit there, he was going to have a comment or, you know, biting comment right back to someone. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, I love that. So it's, I honestly only have fond memories of him. Mm-hmm. Um, even inviting him to birthday parties, he were always going to get a really, really awesome, thoughtful present. Sometimes it was just something that was just really Cool, thoughtful, and sometimes it was something that was just like a prank, almost <laughs> thoughtful, like a, a joke gift. But you, you just absolutely loved it either way. You know that is such a skill to have. I was having that conversation with somebody the other day about thoughtful and genuine gift giving. Truly, is a skill that not everybody has or has the the energy for. And so, I love that you just pulled that out. Like that's such a unique characteristic about somebody that I think often goes unnoticed and it's yeah. <laughs> it really is just speaks to um what a, a caring I'm getting such like loving soft vibes from the way that you describe him it's really beautiful yeah I mean that was definitely my relationship with him mm-hmm. um always been a favorite uncle and a couple of years before he went missing kind of transitioned to 
being my best friend, you know, I've always said I'm not, wasn't his best friend, but he definitely became my best friend mm-hmm. because the two years before he went missing, I had um, got married and immediately moved to Ohio for school. So we didn't know anyone up there and it just kind of got to where I was calling him, um, you know, two, three times a day to talk and our relationship slowly changed to where he, he was definitely my best friend. And then one day he was gone. Just, I didn't have that. There were definitely moments where I was still reaching for my phone to call him and I'd have that, oh, wait, that's right moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially, it sounds like he was a mentor too, even. For yeah, you, definitely. So. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, would you like to take us to um, kind of like how this all came about, kind of the beginning and then, you know, middle and where we're at now? Um, yeah, so he, um, I kind of mentioned getting married and that, uh, that two years mm-hmm. before he disappeared, he had kind of um, taken over care of my my grandmother and my grandfather had passed maybe a month or so before I had gotten um, married. I think we just got them into like a nice assisted living place, but then my grandfather passed and um, they kind of felt it was better for my grandmother at the time to move back into um, the family home. Sure. And Brian had agreed to I mean, move there, essentially give up his life for those couple of years and take care of her. Oh, wow. And this is, this would be his mother then. Yes. Yeah. This is his mm-hmm. mother. Amazing. Um, and you know, anyone that knew Brian, um, just that definitely shows the love and devotion he had to her because he loved his life in Atlanta. He loved going out and trying new restaurants, going to parties, going to concerts, hanging out with friends. You know, he was very much about like a, big city lifestyle um so moving to what's considered a smaller town his um hometown Carrollton um you kind of give all that up and live in the home he grew up in to um take care of his mom it's mm-hmm. a very big deal that says everything um, about him right there Amanda <laughs> yeah. that is was, that is remarkable a very stressful undertaking for him. Um, and, you know, he, he had some of his own health problems, too. He had had a pacemaker put in um, not too long before that, um, just for an irregular heartbeat type thing. Mm-hmm. He had narcolepsy and insomnia, which you don't think would go together, but if you actually do, like, a quick Google search, they actually do go hand-in-hand, hand, like mm-hmm. one kind of causes the other one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gosh, um, and then and also irregular heartbeat, which fatigues you as well. Yeah, and he also had very severe rheumatoid arthritis, which oh, there wow. were times where he would say that um, he would be scared to take a bath when his partner was at home because he's worried he wouldn't be able to get up out of the bathtub on his own. Yep, yep. My father suffers from that, so I I understand that completely. Um. So he was taking care of her again. It was a huge undertaking, very stressful. It took a huge physical and emotional toll on him. Mm-hmm. On and top of his had... other health conditions. <laughs> oh, my. You know, he had finally gotten to where he had told the family, you know, um, it's just it's too much. I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they got my grandma into this private nursing facility, which is 
different than anything you would picture with a, a nursing facility. It was actually like someone was like a house. She had her own room in a house, and there was always like a dedicated nurse kind of there and living there. And there would be other patients there who had their own room in a house. It was a very nice kind of like a familiar setting, like less clinical. And yeah, sounds a um, lot more homey. Yeah, not as scary and sad as you picture mm-hmm. um, nursing homes. Um, so he would kind of come down every once in a while because the, the family home was uh, still part of the estate and he was kind of working, or he was working with my aunt Anita and my aunt Jeanette, just kind of doing their best to keep up um, with everything with that. So he would come down and kind of check on grandma, also her prescriptions, check in uh, with the court whenever it was required to, um, cut grass and try to do maintenance around the house. Um, and the week he went missing, he had a court appointment at with 8 a.m. September 24th. Um, I spoke to him as well as several others on the 23rd. Um, he had been cutting grass and doing stuff around the house. And this is 2009, he, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, he had driven down the day before, and like I mentioned, this was. Um, historic flooding had happened in the area. We normally don't have flooding, but like major interstates and things were washed out. Mm. So I drive, that should have taken him like an hour at the most, took several hours. Mm. And when I was talking to him, he was telling me just about how frustrated um, he was during that drive, just how frustrating it was and how he was going to try to look for a topographical map. Um, so they drive back to Atlanta Um just to try to find a better route. He had told me um, his mind just kind of worked that way. Um, When he went to college, he was studying geology, and then he went to work for my Uncle Chris, um, land surveying business. Mm. So he was able to kind of picture things um, 3D and spatially like that. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, He's mentioned the court dates. I don't want people to get focused on that. That was just kind of routine check-in. There was a missing um, signature on a document. Um, oh, okay, sure. Oh, so, yeah. I can see how people would twist that, thinking that yeah. he has his own court date for something else and, like, skipping out or something like that. This is just a road yeah. In the beginning, it was very frustrating because oh. they would kind of just let that hang. Like, he just missed his court date. It's like, no, it wasn't, like, a DUI or anything he was skipping out on. Right, exactly. You know, it was probate court. It was a very routine thing. It was okay. Mm-hmm. And if Judge Megan was here, she could explain everything to us about what probate court does and why you'd have to come back in for a <laughs> signature and all of that. But so without without being able to have her commentary, I could say I know that she would have something to say about that, that yes, people do go to court for things that, you know, have nothing to do with them violating the law in any regard. Yeah. And, um, you know, being in charge of someone's estate like that, there's a ton of paperwork especially um with that person still being you know alive too yes. um it's just constant an overwhelming amount of paperwork and things to keep up with mm-hmm. um so it's very easy to see how a signature could be missing oh absolutely um, that's a very common thing very common so i do want to come back to that but i do um if i want to mention mm-hmm. um he was going to go back to Atlanta to the home he had shared with his partner of 12 years 
um, to pick up stuff because they um, like clothing and stuff because they had plans to go on vacation to see um, to Florida to see my aunt and aunt, which was his sister. Okay. With my other aunt Anita and her husband and son, was also his sister. So he has and a family then, vacation coming up. Yeah, and then like a week or so later, they're going to Pittsburgh, which is where that side of my family is from, and they just love Pittsburgh. Oh they yeah, go crazy for Pittsburgh. So they, <laughs> he he had plans and you know, plans with family and plans with his partner. Yeah, um, to do. He was just stopping in to Carrollton to to handle this, and then he was mm-hmm. going back, and then they were going to drive down to Atlanta um, and, that weekend. And already, I can tell so that's you, Atlanta, that... Florida, Florida. Oh, yeah. okay. I can. I mean, I already. I can tell you that this is not a man that ha- skips out on his family, obviously, from what you no, have he, described. He someone who, <laughs> yeah, who, he didn't run away from problems. No, yeah. If anything, like he, I mean, he confronted everything head on. He would never skip out. And even if like, the police, and we'll get into this, I guess, too, please try to push the narrative of a lover spat. Mm. There's a big difference between leaving a partner and abandoning your life and your family and mm-hmm. sisters and nieces and nephews and friends and just absolutely everybody. Um, you know, that's a different, completely different thing. People don't, don't do that. <laughs> absolutely. Not to mention, Amanda, you have, you have mentioned his serious health issues. Yeah. That requires medication and care. Yep. So he's not skipping out on that too. (laughs) Yeah. All his medications were actually left at the house. Um, Mm. So he went missing with all that stuff being left there. Mm -hmm. So, so he was telling me his story about just how frustrating the drive down was. And he just kind of briefly mentioned that he pulled over to just kind of have a drink and calm down. Um, Because anyone's familiar with Atlanta traffic just by itself is incredibly frustrating. But then, adding the road closures and the like detours and rerouting because of the flooding. I can just imagine um, just wanting to pull your hair out. Absolutely. How chaotic that, that has had to have been. Yeah. So no one knows where he stopped along the way and where he actually was. um, But he just casually threw in that he just met some really interesting people and then went back to telling me the story about, you know, his drive home and how he's going to look for a map because, you know, the story he was telling me was about the drive, not about the people. Okay. So people do bring that up. And unfortunately, that's all the information I have about him, right. about them. And as far as I know, like I'm the only person he really mentioned them to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, there's no weird phone numbers, no emails or anything about like meeting up or anything like that. Because I want to remember this was 2009. Mm-hmm. The iPhone was only two years old like, at this point. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Facebook had just been opened up to people who weren't in college because, you know, that's what it was originally for was for students. Um, Internet still kind of barely worked on your phone. You were still using TomTom GPSs in your car. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Lovely way to put this into perspective for people. Take (laughs) us back. (laughs) Yep. So there there wasn't anything saying that, you know, he was going to, he had plans to meet up with people or anything like that. Um, Yeah. Well, and I can't tell you how many times I've come home to my own family and said, oh yeah, I met some interesting people today. I mean, that truly, I mean, it does happen. I've met interesting people at the gas station, weird people at, you know, different places I've had to go for my job. Like it just, it happens. 
You know, yeah. and it doesn't mean that you've made plans. Right. people, mean right. people. Just, yep. <laughs> so it could have been like snarky, interesting people. Like, I certainly, no certainly. <laughs> exactly. Or just, you know, random people wearing things that maybe wouldn't be the uh, the choice that your first choice, right? But you're just like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So um, this was actually like... Um, middle to late afternoon I feel like it was around like three o'clock um like I was actually in a Mexican restaurant he was returning my call from earlier that day and he was on his way to Taco Bell and like I remember thinking that that was funny that we were both getting like <laughs> Mexican style food mm-hmm. um, so he was telling me about that we were um trying to put together a baby shower for my little sister who was pregnant at the time so we we're kind of tossing around ideas and things that he had mentioned he was going to go to my aunt Anita's house, who was his sister, who lived in Carrollton still at the time, and um, used her computer. So we didn't have internet at the house, didn't have internet on the phone. So he was going to her house to use the computer to try to look up um, some ideas because she she loved pickles. So we kind of felt like doing something with like the Vlasic Stork or something. Oh, cute. He so, <laughs> <laughs> was going to try to find something like that. Um, so he did go over to her house that night um from what they've said and what i've heard and just conversation everything since then like everything was completely normal fine it wasn't unusual for him to be over or for them to see each other especially when he was living in Carrollton, taking care of their mother at the time um they were very very close he called me later that night and left a message and told me he had found a few things um that he had ideas for and I called him back and I didn't get him I left a message um and that was the last interaction I had with him um I was told neighbors saw a light on in the garage at 2 a.m and this is at my grandparents house in Carrollton it was empty nobody was living there he was just staying there while he was in town okay and they just assumed it was Brian in the garage kind of messing around um I always kind of thought maybe he was checking the garage for a map. Um, my grandpa would sometimes have strange things like the um, topographical map he was looking for. Mm-hmm. He had even mentioned that there was a receipt he was trying to find. Like he said he didn't feel like he would need it, but he would just feel better if he had it. And he just he wasn't sure where it was. Okay, for for um, court, something that he wanted to take yeah. with court. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. ha- and he had insomnia, right? So two a.m. wouldn't yeah. really be unusual. Yeah, and if um, actually afterwards when people did come to check on the house, the corner of the bed was folded back like someone was, you know, thinking about getting in or was in the process of getting in bed, but mm-hmm. it was just very neatly folded back. Hmm. Um, so my aunt had called me that on the 24th, so the, the morning um, he went missing after he had missed his court date because she was a paralegal and she had um you know friends and stuff at the courthouse and they knew something was was up when he, he didn't show up for the court date that okay. was unusual mm-hmm. sure they called her she called me and asked if i had um spoken to him i, I hadn't and when i talked to her um i i didn't feel like anything was weird then i hung up the phone with her and i called him don't know why I did this. Like he would answer for me and like not for her or anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I left a message. It was just like, oh, you know, like call her. She, 
he's you know trying to get in touch with you and the moment I hung up the phone after leaving that message like panic set in I knew something wasn't right and I broke down I started um, you know I started crying I called my husband he was on campus um, at the time he had been working on getting his PhD I just just knew um, you know our world was gonna gonna change yeah this was not this was not normal for him like a set in of yeah. just like wait a second he he wouldn't miss this court date yeah so um you know there's a couple hours you don't really know what to do um absolutely can't find him we don't know what's happening the house was checked um his phone had been left at the house his medication his clothes you know all all the personal effects um the only thing that was missing. I mean, he had taken his wallet and taken the, or we don't know if he did. Sure. But the wallet and car were missing. Okay. Um, and, and I'm glad that you said, you know, the first few hours you really didn't know what to do. Um, this is something that I like to bring to our listeners' attention a lot because sometimes in cases, you know, people will have opinions or thoughts of like, well, why did they do that? Or why didn't they do this? And truly, when you put yourself in that position, you have to understand this is a grown, he's a grown adult. When you first call the police and say, hey, I think I need to report a missing person, they're going to have their protocols and questions of, well, he's a grown adult. If he wants to leave and disappear, that's within his rights. And so then it becomes a a problem of the family to have to prove why they don't believe that to be true. And yeah, so and not case, knowing what, were, yeah. yeah, very reluctant to help. And we did reach that point. Um, yeah. His partner first reached out to them. Like, okay. something's wrong. We can't find him. Um, and it's actually very frustrating. When you look at the, the police report, uh, he, his partner, you know, 12 years, is actually referred to as his roommate. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it's just kind of the beginning of a lot of, um, you know, perceived prejudices and bigotry oh. um, just throughout the case, just a lot of small things like that. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That are, you know, at first it's kind of, well, that's, you know, low key infuriating, but then mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's not. That's actually like <laughs> A very big deal. Very angry. This, yeah, this is a huge a deal. Yep, because yeah. then you're gonna you're gonna take that word and you're then gonna question: um, Are you applying bias and prejudice to the investigation? Yeah, um, which can't happen. Told, <laughs> yeah, I was like, he was told he needed to wait um, seventy two hours mm-hmm. for a missing person case. We we found out that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone listening, if they um, which I hope they never do, or in this circumstance, do not listen to that. Push, get annoying about it. Mm-hmm. Make sure um, they file that because the first 72 hours are crucial yes. for anyone who's ever watched any, you know, movie <laughs> or mm-hmm. crime procedural drama. You know, the further away you get from that 72 hours, the um, less likely it is the person is going to be be found or found alive yep. if even found. Yep. The faster the um, evidence vanishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, you know, knowing this in our mind, you know, just kind of panicking and doing what we can to get them to listen. But then at the same time, you're worried um, if we push too hard, are they going to stop doing the little bit that they're already doing? Because, um, again, there's no resource for this. 
you yeah. don't know where to go if you don't feel like you're being heard, if you don't feel like the right things are being done and what's actually the right thing. Like there's not necessarily like a universal like way. No, um, there's not a how-to guide. You're supposed to respond like to right. this. Right, absolutely. Um, it's like some places will go ahead and put out a bolo. Um, some, some places will keep pushing it off. And unfortunately, this is what it was treated as a lover's bat, even though there was nothing indicating mm. that Jeff had been in Atlanta the whole time. That's his partner. I'm sorry. I don't think I've said his name yet. Yeah, um, that's okay. You know, I was in Carrollton doing um, so for his mother's estate. There's Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing indicated but they just kept treating it as that from the beginning and I've even you know gone back and look at old Facebook posts that have kind of come up recently you know they have that memory thing mm-hmm. um, and it's shows like oh you know it's more like October 1st popped up and it's like oh two weeks since Brian's is missing and the police are finally starting to do something but it's stuff that we were doing two weeks ago and this was in reference to me um, checking his email. Two oh. weeks had gone by, and they still hadn't even checked his email. Oh, my goodness, Amanda. Um, so it was like I um, knew the answers to security questions, and I, I logged in and, uh, like, looked through it and everything. There wasn't any, you know, anything um, weird or abnormal. I didn't do, like, a deep dive into it, just, um, in, you know, immediate stuff. And th- this was back when emails were still like forward, forward, forward. So you were still getting a ton of like yeah. spam <laughs> and junk mail. <laughs> um, and the police officer had learned that I had done that and wanted me to call and give him the the password. And this was the first time he had actually wanted to talk to me. Me being one of the last people who ever spoke to him. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after. And we're two weeks day. after. Okay. Two weeks. And mm. even then just wanted the password and was like, okay, bye. And I said, well, don't you want to ask me anything? Oh, wow. And, you know, it actually just recently, um, and then we're not quite at 14 years, I'm going to say it 14 years later. Yeah. I mean, we're um, recording this on September. Today's September 17th. I mean, it's, we're right there. It, It is. My mom, his sister, um, in August, was the first time they had spoken to her so 14 years later still had not spoken to all his siblings who he you know was close to still had not spoken to family and friends good gracious i just i just cannot imagine the frustration level of your family yeah this and point. I've, <laughs> yeah i've used this term um a lot recently because we've done a lot of interviews but we are actually trapped in a nightmare mm-hmm. and we are going around screaming and begging people for help and everyone's just going on with their lives just completely ignoring us mm-hmm. and at the news at the time the news cycle was if it wasn't flood related nobody was really wanting to do it the police weren't really interested in it um we like i tried to do a event on Facebook, just kind of like an online flyer type thing to get as many people interested and to get a space out there. Cause I was still in Ohio. I was, you know, going to school. I still wasn't sure what to do. You know, do I take a hardship withdrawal? Do I go down? Like, right. How, of course. You know, long-term is this going to be, is he going to 
Is he going to show up? Is this going to be a misunderstanding? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of stuck in limbo doing what I could up there. Um, and I, I kept that event going for as long as I could before Facebook finally closed it. Um, we had that, and I guess the police did essentially do stuff, but it was just that such a slow, painful process that we're just I'm absolutely going out of our minds. Even though you know this isn't something he would do, you start considering every possibility and wait at night when you're up with your your grief and just your thoughts. You wonder, well, you know, is this what happened? Could he have just left? And he you know, would get phone calls from his partner Jeff sometimes at like two or three in the morning, just just gutted, absolutely devastated. Sure. Um because that was the narrative the police were pushing at the time, you know, just love or sad. Well, he just left you, Jeff. He just didn't want to be with you. Um, and just reassurance, no, Jeff, like, absolutely not. Like, you would not have done that. I'm not, right. you know, again, mm-hmm. that's, that's not how no. you leave a relationship. You don't abandon your life. And it's like, there were other people that cared about him and stuff, too. It's like, he wouldn't have left all of us. Like, even right. the individual egos aside, like, there's, a lot of us there, and I'm I'm not being superficial, but you know he liked his things. He had nice things. They had two dogs that they had um, had for years, and he he's not someone that was just going to like leave and go like live on a beach or go in another town or start over right. like that. But and he and he today, had future plans, and yeah. But I can absolutely see how Jeff could sit there with be alone in his own thoughts at night and and mm-hmm. be willing to oh my gosh, this is what the authorities are saying. Could this possibly be true? And then needing that reassurance from people who actually know him and who actually are bonded and love him um, to, you know, to reassure him of, no, he would, he would not have done this to us, but I can, I can imagine. I mean, you guys are blessed with a, a large supportive family, but you know, even put yourself in the position of someone going through this that doesn't have that large supportive family, how easy it might be to just listen to the authorities and say, oh, I guess, I guess they know better, right? They, I guess they know. Yeah. That's, it's terrible. Yeah, and, um, you know, unfortunately, like, Jeff passed about five years um, ago, so he, okay. he passed, like, always having that doubt and just always, mm. you know, having that hole and just that far like in his life you know is this what happened is it actually just me even though we know it's absolutely against like who he is and his character I mean every single like family member and friend like we're just adamant about that that's like it he would not have done that and again to date his his social no bank accounts no credit cards nothing has been used yeah Yeah, exactly. This wasn't just him. And he never took large sums of money out to be, I mean, that's the thing that always gets me like, like how, how do people, if if you think they're just starting their life over, what, how they still need resources, they still need money to do so. Like how, how do you suggest that there's, where's the evidence that says that he was able to just go on and still pay for, you know, food and housing and all of those things? Yeah. Like I said, it's like he, he likes he like nicer things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's not going to live on the streets for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm and, and I'm so sorry to hear that Jeff is no longer with us and that his yeah. life ended still with with no answers there. Yeah, and he uh, he voluntarily took um, several um, lie detector tests, vocal stress analysis tests, passed all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, they kept coming at him with multiple ones for some reason, wanting him to continue taking them. <laughs> Because they and wanted it to fit their narrative. They were pulling yeah. at strings. They wanted something to be able to fit their narrative. Because at this point, they're thinking they know that they've messed up the actual hypothesis here. Yeah. And then, you know, when I were receiving Facebook messages from people and stuff saying that the um, detective in charge is not going to investigate or do anything because the person messaging me had personally heard that the person say like bigoted and homophobic things and that it was oh. never going to go anywhere but uh. they're not willing to like come and say or do anything oh no right yeah <laughs> they don't want to create that noise right yeah yeah even though and that's eventually what I was going to get to asking you of do you think that there was some bias towards his sexuality as to why his case wasn't uh handled more professionally I I think there was and I I think even with their leading series, like the, the lover spot and trying to focus on him. Um, is the way a lot of, you know, a lot of the um, way it was investigated when was that they felt like he had this deviant lifestyle. So he must be missing like as a result right. of this deviant right. lifestyle, whatever stereotype you want to throw toward it. Like it, it must be because of this. Mm-hmm. Even though there's like you know, there's nothing indicating this. Even when I would come down um, and visit from Ohio and go to speak to the detective in charge at the time, um, and ask, you know, have there been any updates? What can I help you with? The like the only things he would ever want to ask me about, um, especially the phrase to say, was just like gay sex and whether or not he was. What? Was and stuff like that. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm his niece. Like, I don't know. Like, for sure. And are those questions that he asks a heterosexual couple when yeah. one of those members go missing? No. Yeah. So it was just weird. That was the only like questions I would ever get. Um, mm. And you know, I, I spoke to the detectives who took over the case. Um, not even when they took over, but um, a few years ago, um, since like COVID and everything to kind of date things a little bit. Um, they said they had no idea I wanted to talk to him. Actually, um, no idea that I even existed. So he's not noting me in the file at all. Oh, wow. Um, so he's having these interviews with you, but not actually documenting his work. Yeah. Uh, but it's also still frustrating because it's like, you know, I'm in his cell phone as one of the people he spoke to last. So if you're investigating this case or at all, you would know that I was one of the people he right. talked to and you should be wanting to talk to me like right. over and over again. Like, do I happen to remember anything new? And, oh, hey, we came across this. Does this jog your memory? Can you, you know, can you think of why this would, but nothing. Um, so uh, did they ever give you a, like a, an alternative hypothesis? Like, if it wasn't the lover's quarrel, it could be something else. They ever entertain um, that? No. So, like, his car turned up um, in Chattanooga in December. 
Okay, so December um, 2009, I, his car turned up. Yeah, and it had been parked in a neighborhood that I was told by the police and family members is thought of as a bad neighborhood, okay. um, left underneath like a streetlight, um, been there for a month, car unlocked, uh, there was like a book and that Taco Bell receipt in the car, mm. um, a Tupperware container full of change, again, which is weird if it is a bad um, neighborhood. Unlocked car, Tupperware full of change in there. And I, I do know about Tupperware full of change. Like that does sound kind of weird, but that um, in my family, there's the people who go on vacation and stuff and they like to have cash and things on them for parking or just whatever they need. So he would, you know, just kind of whatever, whenever he had changed, just kind of threw it in there. So mm-hmm. that it was weird that it was there, but um, I guess one of the reasons it sat there for so long without anyone saying anything is that there was someone um, on that neighborhood. It was kind of or in the neighborhood. It was known for working on cars, and everyone just kind of thought that that was him, um, the car waiting for him. Oh, but, okay. And the individual that was seen um, leaving the car there did not um, match Brian's description. It was a, a young black male. Okay. Just walked off and was never seen again. Yikes. Um, but just to, to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, within the first couple of days of when he went missing, too, there were a couple of annoying red herrings. If anyone's looking into the, the case after they hear this, they'll come across there was a water bill um, that was paid. And we're just like, oh, okay, so it had a stamp for that, that same day they went missing, like the 24th. But we found out um, you know, pretty quickly that that wasn't the case. He had actually overpaid, um, and that date stamp was where the refund had been issued. So he didn't pay a water bill that day or anything like oh, that. Um, it okay. was just where the, the refund had been issued. So, yeah. Um, but there's so that, and then the car turning up. Only things <laughs> that you could even consider, like hints or clues as to what happened or where he went. Um, walking through the house. Um, there wasn't like a smell of bleach, no obvious um, signs of struggle or anything like that. Okay. Um, the GBI processed the car. There was some delay like with that. Um, I guess some samples were collected and then the samples sat there for like over a month were never sent to be processed. So it was just more <sighs> time just going further and further away, just more like kind of like goof just happening. Um I, you know, you don't know what to do. You don't want to scream at people. Or you don't know who to scream at. Well, right. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is it's like who is dropping the ball on their job. And, you know, also, it's not like your family has been in this situation before, right? I mean, people don't know the ins and outs of what, like, what their rights are, what they're, you know, allowed to ask, say, or do. And it can be very frustrating because you don't realize that something wrong has happened in, in you know, handling processing evidence mm-hmm. until well after the fact. And then you can't do anything about it because it's already been done. And, yeah. and it's just, it's awful for people. Not that we need to have a reference guide of what to do when you have a family member going missing, but maybe somebody should write that. Maybe we do yeah, need that. I, I would love that. It's actually one of the things I've been talking to people about and trying to um, to push for. It's like there needs to be a resource that's widely available to families um, for what to do because every missing person is an important person. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. 
it doesn't matter the circumstances, run away oh. or you know, oh. foul play. They should all be investigated. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as wasted resources when it comes to investigating a missing person because the missing person isn't the only victim in the crime, too. The, the families are yes. victims as well. Yes. It doesn't matter what they were you know, if they had risky behaviors or anything like that, we cover those cases a lot on this podcast too, where you can clearly see where people have had bias because while they were a drug addict or they, you know, engaged in this risky behavior or whatever. So their life is less valuable as a human and they don't deserve the same resources and and justice to come to someone who could have potentially harmed them. I (laughs) know that's not real. That's not a thing. Uh, Okay. So sorry to keep interjecting. I'm just, I'm fired up over here. Yeah. You'll, you'll get that way many times and um, just more and more questions pop up. And unfortunately there's, there's no answer. So um, again, nothing happened for a while. The person that, well, they evidence they they collected from the car. Um, Nothing really came from it. It was a few fiber samples and like a partial fingerprint, but the way it was explained to me at the time, was with the fingerprint unless there's a specific one to compare it to there's nothing they can really do okay. with it it's not like on tv where they run it through like a database and get hits or anything like right. that um, so you know they have that it's there but there's nothing to really do with it unless there's um i don't know if it's a suspect or anything that comes up with it Right. Um, was was Brian's fingerprints in the car still? Not that I've been told. I mean, I've only been told like the, the one partial um, mm. fingerprint and a couple of fiber samples. Okay. I had a stolen um, plate on it too. I should say that. Oh, okay. We actually found out recently that his plate, that was, again, this, we say his car, but it was actually my um, grandparents' car that he was using. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so it's a, a 92 light, light blue Buick LeSabre. Oh, yeah. I had um, a LeSabre. <laughs> yeah. Even even in 2009, it's not exactly the car someone wants to steal. <laughs> right, right. No, it's not flashy. It's not. It absolutely screams that um, I might be elderly. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how I felt when I was driving it. But I, I was happy to have a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just. Even though, like, they had nice things, lived in nice neighborhoods, this was just a car Brian used to get back and forth to places that he was using while he sure. was um, taking care of grandma and stuff. Nice and safe. A Buick LeSabre is, like, the safest vehicle. <laughs> so we actually found out a, um, a few years ago, and this was very confusing, but the uh, license plate that was supposed to go with the, the LeSabre um, that was registered to it, um, a couple months like during the time frame where he was newly missing um the hit you know the plate was ran in Coweta County which is I don't know, maybe 30 minutes away from Carrollton um but because of the way the records or someone didn't enter things in right or whatever nobody was ever notified that this plate was ran until a few years ago, and since then the records have just been lost and destroyed. Oh, like someone my just happened gosh. to stumble across it. So there was no follow up. The police have been quick to say, like, you know, it could have just been someone checking to see if anything happened. It could have been that they entered the plate in error um, or something else. Uh, there's just no way of knowing. 
So we don't know um, if they actually entered it because they were, uh, you know, they saw it on the road. And then the que- the follow-up questions yeah. would then be, did you pull the vehicle over and question? Yeah. The, so you for know. whatever reason, it wasn't entered right to begin with so that when the plate was ran, it, it didn't trigger to notify um, the detective investigating. Wow. Okay. So, How many things can go wrong in one case? Because yeah. I'm not certain that anything has went right at this point in time. I, and it just, to me, kind of further highlights the like lack of interest in yeah. actually investigating the case. Mm-hmm. There's just yep. so little interest in it. Yeah. Um, Total I mishandling. Listening to, um, this is very frustrating recently, when the most recent podcast came out, um, a lot of people posting on that podcast, like Facebook group. Uh, oh my gosh, this is my hometown. I've lived here my whole life. I can't believe I never heard of this. I never oh. knew anything about it. And I guess these are this is my hometown too. I graduated high school from there. These are people I went to school with. These mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. our friends. I was like, guys, we we did everything we could. We we let everyone know. Just there wasn't an interest at the time. So I just want to let other people listening now um there's there's missing people everywhere there's missing Mm -hmm. people in your hometown in the town you're currently living in Mm -hmm. that you haven't heard about yep all the time everywhere for whatever reason um some some are even children that you never hear about yep just for whatever reason they're the level of investigation isn't the same for everyone Mm -hmm. and we all kind of know the the reason for that but Right, right. No, it's, um, that is a big reason why we try to cover as many of these cases as we can. Because, and we have from our even from our own local area, Amanda. Yep, for those exact yeah. reasons. And it just, and it's just easy for for information to get twisted and lost. And so, bringing it, you know, back fresh, I think, um, can really help as well. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how small your hometown is, how small you think it is. It's like my hometown still likes to, to think of itself as small, but it is definitely not. There are currently active and cold case missing people like in your town. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just because you don't know about them doesn't mean they're they're not there. Yep. Exactly. And um, there's no detail too small that you remember because you just, no. you know, in investigations, Police do keep information um, hidden on purpose just to see if that possibly that one little nugget that might seem innocuous or whatever to the a, you know civilian might actually be the exact piece that they need to be able to lead them down the right trail and solve the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So um, certainly. Okay, proceed. Um, so we have a few years go by and we get... Um two new detectives assigned to the case um, and they actually realized the house never been processed. Oh my God. Which should be processed. So they think there may still be some evidence there. And again, this house has been used. It's a family house. (laughs) Yeah. Parties, uh, holidays, get togethers. um, If someone's in town visiting. Um, So, but they do go back and, um, they, they try to process it the appropriate way. They have the idea to bring cadaver dogs to the property. Um, they get in touch with Trace Sargent, who was associated with the Natalie Holloway case. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she comes down, and there are three 
different um, cadaver dogs who are going through three different separate times, all three touched at the boathouse, same spot. Okay. Because my, my grandparents' house is, is on the lake in town, the big lake there. Um, now, this, this boathouse was never really used for boats. It's a very small boathouse, very, very small. It was always used more as a storage shed. But if you cleared all the junk out of it, you could have lifted the bottom up and had a boat inside of it. Okay. Um, but, you know, so that's, that's big news. Um, and the way the science of cadaver dogs and things work, it is a pretty fair statement to say, like, there there was a dead body, like, in that area at some point. I mean, even mm-hmm. years later, they're, they're fairly accurate. Yep, yep. Um, but just kind of, I mean, they have drained the lake. Um, the lake's been drained several times. There's never been anything come up. And they even took the cadaver dogs out on the lake, which um, I guess there's even still a chance that they could hit on something in the mm-hmm. body of water, too. Um, and, and there was never anything that, okay. that came from it. And um, so, fortunately, that kind of brings us up to date. Like, that's kind of it. Um, mm, that's the information. Question about the, the backyard now. With, uh, this is what's frustrating, with not knowing, you know, if the house wasn't appropriately processed the first time, then we mm-hmm. probably can't answer the question of, was there um, fresh ground, you know, dug up? Like, is it possible that, you know, they just, they missed looking around that shed for essentially a, a grave? Um, yeah, I even think it's possible Maybe he was in the boathouse, but just no one actually checked the boathouse. <laughs> right. There's I mean, there's so many things that could go there. And, and with the, the flooding, I mean, even that area um, that he was in, even though it was outside of Atlanta, the, the flooding was, I mean, tremendous. The ground would have been very, very soft and wet. I think the lake even came up into my grandparents' yard um, okay. for a period of time, but it has since receded since mm-hmm. he, you know, he was there trying to cut the grass and do stuff around the house, but it was. I mean, obviously still just a huge mess over there. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. So Which it could have even easily been. for him right. to begin with. You know, yeah. you know if, if something had happened and maybe a body was even stored there, like it could have been moved at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or it just, could have been completely unnoticed. I mean, yeah. even if it was if it was kind of a disaster and they might have just been like, oh, yeah, that's you know, that's just from the flooding and not processed it, mm-hmm. not taking it any more seriously than that. Yeah. Um, and we, the family doesn't own the house anymore. It's been okay. sold um, twice. Okay. Um, was after my, my grandmother passed, uh, that's when they sold it. I think she passed in I think, okay, 2014. Um, she passed in 2014. Okay. So it was sold after that when they were trying to kind of like Amongst the remaining siblings. Sure. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you doing a like a billboard campaign? Have you been trying to um, get his? Tell us mm -hmm. about that. The first one just went up, so it's on um, 75 North, going toward Chattanooga. That's a very like busy interstate. Like a lot of uh, traffic passes through there. Um, There will also in the next month or so be several smaller ones going up in Carrollton where he went missing. Okay. Um, a lot of it is just to, to keep a space out there to let people 
no, he is still missing. He won't be forgotten. And, you know, there's always the hope. Yes. That somebody remembers something or maybe even someone's conscience is just weighing on them and they finally want to come forward. Uh um, Even if it's anonymously, like, it's just torture. Just bring closure. Never knowing, yeah, what's happened. It's like it would be a kind, like, at this point, like, just kind of put us out of our misery. Just, just let us know. Write, a, write an anonymous letter or something. Right. <laughs> let us know what happened because it's, it's cruel mm-hmm. for, for anyone to have to go through this. Yep, absolutely. And if you could just say his full name for us and spell it as well so that my the audience can kind of keep it fresh in their mind. Yeah, it's Brian Anthony Worley. Um, B-R-I-A-N. Anthony is A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, and Worley, here's the tricky one, W-E-H-R-L-E. And I'm so glad that I didn't attempt to say it because I wouldn't have, (laughs) I'm notorious for butchering uh, city names and uh, last names, and I probably would have said, um, probably, instead of Worley, I probably would have said how you know I'm not even sure now, but I wouldn't have put the e at the end of it. It would have been like whirl. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I'm yeah, super no, glad. Is, yeah, it is whirly. Um, so you know, it kind of brings us up to to COVID times with it. Um, so I, I after a few years of speaking about him, you notice people's eyes start to to glaze over when you talk about him. You know, they're just kind of tired of hearing about it, tired of hearing about him. So you, um, you know, as a family member, as a loved one, you have a painful choice to make. What do you do? Do you allow something like this to consume you, um, go into that depression spiral, like Mm -hmm. have your life kind of into, or do you find a way to live with the pain? And that's what a lot of us in the family have actually done. We have, you know, the hole's still there. There's, there's that box with all the feelings and emotions um, that we're able to, to bring up when people want to talk about it. Um, so, it, it, you know, nobody wanted to listen. There was no news coverage. Like, podcasts weren't a thing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of brings us up to 2020, um, where we had you know, people starting to reach out. Um, friends of Brian had nominated Brian's case or suggested it to some some podcasts and there's renewed interest in it um with that renewed interest we have got the um carrollton police um actively looking back into it again there's a a new detective um brandon wilson who's working on it so if if anyone has the information like please reach out to him Um, or just, just any ideas, suggestions, just anywhere to go, like reach out to him. He, he is trying, he's, he's listening, um, to me when I tell him like where I want things to go and things that I felt were never done to begin with. So after 14 years, he has spoken to my mom. He has spoken to all the siblings. Wow. Wonderful. Um, And even if you're a a friend of Brian and you're listening to this, like call him, um, call to, um, Brandon Wilson, speak to him. Um, just let him know the Brian you know. Even just character statements at this point mm-hmm. are useful and helpful and like kind of developing ideas and theories as to what would happen or what had happened. Do you have the detective's phone number? 
or where they're supposed, <laughs> you know, where, where we can refer them to go if they have any more information. Cause I will also post it in our show notes. Yeah. Um, I guess you use this personal cell phone number or just the Carrollton police number? Probably the Carrollton, Carrollton police. Yeah. Okay. Let me pull that up. If he does call me often to give me updates. Oh, that's so good. Um, seven, seven, zero, eight, three, four, 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 five, one. Okay. And the detective's name one more time. Brandon Wilson. Okay. Wonderful. Amanda, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And you're, you're so well-spoken and you really are such a beautiful, wonderful advocate for Brian. And I can, I can just feel even through the phone of how we're doing this interview, just how bonded you guys are and how much, how passionate your family is about reopening this after 14 years and getting some answers. And so Thank you for doing the hard work and uh, giving us the privilege of being able to tell his story and share with us the details. So um, please keep in touch if you have updates that we're allowed to share as things um, move forward, we hope for you. Um, yeah, please keep keep us updated so we can let everybody else know too, because now, now we're all, you know needing closure as well. Not as ma as much as your family, of course, but we're, um, I, we have a really wonderful group of listeners that are, um, that really care about humans. And so I just, I would really like to be able to give them closure someday too, for you guys. And we'll be, you know, praying for you as well. So, um, so yes, keep in touch and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, yeah, I absolutely will. Thank you guys so much for, for showing an interest, for giving us um, your time, for letting us and Brian know that he is not forgotten and won't be forgotten. Thank you for all this. Yes. The kind words. Um, really appreciate it. I will always talk about Brian. Um, as long as people are willing to listen, even as long as I'm not willing to listen, he, he's here. He was important. Yep. He, he's loved. Yes. Beautifully said. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure talking with you today. Oh, thank you. Yes. You take care. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, you guys, thank you so much for uh, joining with us through that as well. Amanda is such a wonderful advocate for her family. And um, I don't have a necessarily a brain bath for you so much as I know in the beginning of this episode, I had mentioned um, to Amanda why uh, Megan wasn't here. So I just wanted to give you guys an update that she is okay, um, pretty bruised up, really, really, really sore. She did try to go back to work <laughs> probably too early because, you know, what's a, a car accident's not going to keep Megan down, but just, just a little heartfelt uh, update there that our girl is okay and going to be okay and she'll be back soon. So thank you all so much for uh, listening and we hope that you keep it curious and keep listening until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.